Do you recognise these words? Flexitarian, a person who eats meat occasionally but who is rapidly cutting down. Pescatarian, a person who eschews meat but thinks that fish and seafood are ethically okay. Whether it's concern for the wider environment and climate change, personal health or the individual fate of a sentient creature that may end up on our dinner plate, never has the human race had so much cause to debate the ethics of how and what we eat. My name's Mark Dowd and today on Things Unseen we're doing something slightly unusual. We're putting the consumption of fish under the spotlight. Not as a lifestyle fad, but as a central moral concern. Many Christians might look to the Gospel accounts of the miracles with loaves and fishes and assert there's nothing wrong with eating common or garden fish fingers. But do scientific advances and knowledge about the practices of how fish are caught and farmed give us cause to pause and think again? Joining me to discuss all this are Dr Christoph Wojtas from the organisation Compassion in World Farming, who's on the line from Poland, Hina Modi, a follower of Jainism, one of the ancient religions of India, Hina is an ambassador for veganism and has a website called plantshift.com. And like many Jains, she's concerned about the way humans treat animals. Also with us is Quabs Opong, who's a pescatarian. That means he eats fish, but he doesn't eat meat. Christoph, um, can I begin with you? Many people nowadays might renounce meat, but they still consume fish and seafood. Do you think they're doing this from a position of knowledge or ignorance? Are they right to make the distinction between fish and meat? Yeah, I think we shouldn't make that distinction anymore. Now that we know, and science is very clear on that, that fish are sentient animals, uh, they do experience pain and they do experience emotion, including fear. I think we shouldn't distinguish fish from beef or pork or any other type of meat. I think many people choose to continue eating fish when they stop eating other animals just because we have less contact with fish, so there's less of a connection between a human and a fish. And also a human, when he looks at a fish, doesn't recognise him or herself in it, where if you look at other land animals and mammals, there might be more of a closer connection, therefore that might affect the argument. That's correct, because we don't see nowadays, we don't see whole animals, I mean like a whole cow or a pig on a market, while with fish you still see whole fish on ice. So I think that in some way represents our attitudes towards fish. And we obviously don't come around fish too often, obviously they live in a very different environment, so all that makes us probably emphasise with fish a bit less. How do we know that they suffer pain? I mean obviously it's a statement of the blindly obvious, fish can't speak to us. So what is it that we're looking at in terms of evidence, new evidence that makes us clear that they can experience pain and suffer? Yeah, so the evidence has been coming for years now. But I think we are at the point where it's really hard to neglect that fish are sending animals anymore. And I'll just say, like with any other animal, or even human, you cannot be 100% sure what they're feeling and, and what their experience is. But there's been many scientific studies investigating that from different angles, looking at brain anatomy, neurotransmitters, also behavioral studies. And now all of them prove that fish have the ability to feel pain and also emotions. Yeah, let's move to Hina. In Jainism, you believe that sentient creatures all have souls. So presumably if there's an equality of souls, you don't make any distinction between, there's another hierarchy of souls between creatures. Presumably that means that, that the consumption of a fish, obviously, or a vegan, is a complete no-no. Yeah, interesting. So um, 
There is a bit of a hierarchy. So the belief is that any living being has a soul, and all souls, including plants, any living being at all, all souls are equal and they have the ability to attain liberation or moksh. So therefore, harming anything that's living is not OK in terms of the Jains' perspective. There's like a, a hierarchy in terms of senses. So to harm a one-sense being is a lesser evil than harming a two-sense and then two-sense, then three-sense, and three, then four, four, then five. And then there's a distinction between five-sense being that has an abstract mind. So that would be humans. What, what, can you just give us a bit more detail there? What are the differences in this, in this hierarchy between the different kind of senses? So because they've got a different number of senses, they've got a different ability in how much pain they feel or emotions and all the rest of it. So although Jainism wouldn't say it's OK to eat a one-sense being and don't eat a two three, four, five, one. It's just for, for understanding that there's a different ability in terms of how much pain they feel and how much suffering they can endure. And humans, I presume, are um, top of this hierarchy. Yeah, because, because yeah. also because they've got the abstract mind, so they're able to feel in different ways. And anticipate pain and worry about Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think also five-sense beings without an abstract mind can anticipate it and feel it. When If you go to a farm and you see when cows are being taken for slaughter, they know what's coming and they're terrified and they're making all sorts of sounds. So, In, in your own life, wh- when did you become a vegan and what, briefly, was the... the, the main motive for doing that? Okay, um, I became vegan 11 years ago. I went to a Jane event and basically there was a video to do with dairy production and I basically cried throughout the whole thing. I had no idea. I thought being vegetarian, that was it. There was no cruelty involved in what I was doing. And um, basically I went dairy-free overnight because that's video specific to dairy. Then I investigated more, found out about honey, found out about silk, wool, all sorts of things. And now I lead a vegan lifestyle and I'm very happy about that. It's made me more minimalistic and I've got more peace of mind. Well, you certainly come across as very happy and very yeah. contented, so you're very good. I introduce you as an ambassador for veganism. Now, listening to all that, particularly Christoph's comments, as um, a self-styled and self-named pescatarian, Quabs, now you've, you've heard him say that you shouldn't be making distinction between the consumption of meat and the consumption of fish. Is there anything you've heard there in his opening remarks that gives you cause for concern? Not especially. I think it really depends on how you're making that decision. So the reason why I decided to become pescatarian at the start of the year was more about being eco-friendly than about the sentience of the animals that I was going to be eating. So it's more of a systemic thing. It's it's the impact on the environment and and things like climate change and land use and all these issues. And I would say that I'm a pragmatic person. So... I mean, I'm trying to make slow and gradual change and I thought to myself, well, what is a way that I can lower my carbon footprint? And this felt like one of them. And I think there was sort of a, you know, in terms of a list of concerns, the sentience of the animals that I was eating was at the lower end of the scale and reducing my carbon footprint was near the top. When you go out for dinner and the menu's going around and people notice you not choosing meat, does this precipitate animated conversations about why you've done this? <laughs> there's a scepticism, and I think there's also an implied judgment that you're making about their lifestyle as well. People think you're preaching a bit. Yeah, well, actually, it's quite the opposite. It's sort of like, I'm just trying to like pick a great meal and have a good time. I'm not, I'm not really here to think about what you're doing. It's just about what I can personally do. Yeah. Christoph. It's an interesting dilemma for somebody like Quabs, who's just recently made this decision. Can you help him a little bit here? Should there be an ethical distinction between catching fish which are caught 
wild and at sea, in other words, the equivalent of free-range meat consumption, if you like, and the very intensive mass-produced fish farming that we see, because I think that obviously they're not the same thing in terms of the impact on the fish. Yes, well, fish in general, I would say it's a very complex issue. And speaking of environmental concerns, there are many with fish farming and fisheries as well. In general, with our food choices, we live in a very complicated and complex world. So it's pretty hard to know which decisions are completely right. When it comes to to fish, obviously there is the, the moral concern of them being sentient beings, but there is also concern about the environmental aspects. And definitely there is a distinction between farmed fish and wild-caught fish. Wild-caught fish usually have a fairly natural life until the point of capture. And then the end is pretty gruesome because there is no humane slaughter on board of the decks. So fish suffer sometimes for as long as an hour or, or so, quite often being gutted alive. So it's pretty terrible. And obviously... There are different environmental aspects. Right now, almost 90% of the oceans are almost overfished or the, the fish stocks are depleted, and there are many issues with that. So, so this is something you need to take into consideration as well. And then there's fish farming, which obviously has a lot of welfare issues where fish are crammed into cages in a very unnatural environment, and there's quite a lot of chemicals used as well to fight parasites. And the handling of the fish is terrible. Again, the slaughter is quite often inhumane. And then on top of that, and I think that's a very important concern, is that quite a lot of fish that we consume are carnivorous fish, for example, salmon, and they need to eat fish. So actually, to raise one salmon that you would eat, you need, according to some calculations, up to 350 wild-caught fish to be caught and then grounded up to pellets together with some other plant-based ingredients to raise one salmon. So the, the, the ethical cost of farmed fish is quite often much higher than of wild fish, and also the environmental aspects are there. And there are quite a few. Overfishing of the oceans, but also stuff like lack of transparency that quite often leads to uh, modern-day slavery on board of those large trolling vessels. I, I just wanted to put this point to Hina, that, I mean, she said she had this conversion to her way of thinking because she suddenly had access to images. Do you think a lot of our continued behaviour is due to almost like a willful blindness or ignorance about these these very vivid pictures which Christoph is now painting for us in this discussion? I didn't know about this thing that he just said about salmon and how much they need to be fed. In a way, maybe you could say I don't need to know because I'm vegan already, but I do think there are a lot of people who have no idea about what goes on in the meat industry, in the fishing industry, if you want to make a distinction between the two, in the dairy industry. I suppose you need um, to know if people are going absolutely. to discuss this with you and you need to have have yeah, all the facts at yeah, your fingertips. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know a lot about, obviously, dairy and meat, but I didn't know the specifics around fishing. But in terms of, yeah, being able to make the connection, I think there are some people who know, but they're not willing to or don't want to or haven't started the journey yet in terms of making that change. And there, I think there are more people who just don't know. So, like, I didn't know about veganism before I thought vegetarian, that's it, I'm, I'm done. There's no violence involved in what I'm eating and what I'm doing, and I, I, I had no idea. I just wanted to touch on the environmental aspect, if that's OK. Mm. So in terms of the environmental aspect of meat, I guess, um, Krabs, you mm. recognise the fact that the environmental 
detriment in terms yeah. of cows and pigs and all that mm-hmm. is, is quite high. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the dairy industry, obviously the dairy and meat is completely connected. So mm-hmm. the male calves are killed because they're not needed. Yeah. They either go for leather or they go for meat or they're actually just dumped because it's easier to do that and it's cheaper to do it. And the females are then kept so that they can carry on being forced to produce milk for their calves, which are then taken away and it's given to us. But in terms of the environmental aspect, whether it's meat or whether it's dairy, we're still feeding those environmental issues if we're even though we're not having meat but if we're having dairy we're still feeding the same system and I, I don't know if many people consider that I mean Quabs when you made this decision to just to abandon meat and stick to fish did you do a lot of research and preparation for it or was it largely a, an instinctive almost emotional thing I did a fair amount of research but I kind of feel like I'm on a like I suspect all of us in this room we're all on a journey of realisation I am at this point now, I might well shift and change as the year goes through. But, yeah, I definitely felt, when I saw a couple of articles, when I read about it, I definitely felt this was the most pragmatic moral choice that I could make. Uh, That's where I'm at with it now. I'm, I'm sort of willing to sort of shift and change as I get more information. That's interesting and takes me back to Christoph because, I mean, let me put to you an interesting point, Christoph. On this planet, probably there are more than 2 billion people who describe themselves as Christian. And in those gospel stories, we have numerous accounts of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with fish and loaves. And then there are stories about uh, the apostles going out to sea and uh, Jesus and miraculously increasing the kind of harvest of fish when they go out on the fishing vessel onto the lake. It's quite hard to say, actually, that doesn't count for anything anymore and and you've now got to change your lifestyle. How can science, if you like, trump those very powerful gospel stories? Yeah, obviously that could be difficult. I think we need to take into account that, you know, our knowledge-based changes and our moral choices need to adapt. And I would just come back to Quaps as well and come into defense of his choice. I think there are many people who would make that choice of choosing fish over other means because they want to move into the right direction. And it's obviously always very difficult to make your lifestyle choices. And currently the knowledge about the fishing industry and also the fish farming is quite scarce and many people don't have the wider overview. And that's one of the reasons why we launched our campaign called Rethink Fish, which the aim of the campaign was to let people know that actually fish are sentient and your choices matters. And when you try to limit your, your meat consumption, you should also include fish. Christoph, if you, could, if you could press a button and completely reconfigure the whole of the world's eating patterns ethically, given the fact that we need protein and a lot of people eat meat and fish for that, how would we feed ourselves more ethically from your point of view? And I'll ask the same question to Hina in a minute. That's a very interesting question. You could probably argue that we could all go plant-based. We know that all people can live on plant-based diet and do quite well on that. But as an organization, we're quite a wide church, I would say. So we think farming animals is possible. It's possible to do it ethically, but you need to change the whole system. Currently, it's really focused on on big factory farms and making profits, and you can really turn that around. I've seen the video on your website of the way that uh, fish are crammed together when they're caught, and I have to say the distinct image I had was of of battery 
farming with with hens and chickens in terms of that sort of lack of space. That's correct. And that's exactly what it is. It's factory farming underwater. That's what we call it, because that's what, what most fish farms are at the moment. But there are farms who do much better. There are extensive fish farms, which are farming herbivorous fish, without using fish meal, so the impact of grounding up fish to, to feed the farmed fish, it's not there, and it's a way better system. And then there's many companies now involved in, in coming up with uh, humane slaughter methods for fish. So, so you can see a clear movement uh, towards the good direction, but obviously we need more awareness in the society to, to make that movement happen, and that's what we're working on as well. Just a specific question. When you made the distinction before between fish farming and wild-caught fish, leaving aside the fact that fish could both and will both experience pain and suffering in, in the way that uh, they're treated, but if you just looked at the impact on the environment solely, the impact on the system... Is it your view that wild-caught fish is a superior option in terms of treading more lightly on the the global impact of oceans and fish stocks themselves? Well, it's not as easy as that, but um, it's it's really also about not only one versus the other, but how we do each of those. So fish farming can be a way to ease of the oceans because you can produce fish without having a huge impact on the ocean. But then it wouldn't be salmon, for example. It could be carp or tilapia. Then you have a, a whole different system if you find it extensively. Then it is actually contributing to kind of easing off the ocean. But most of the kind of you know high-value market fish like salmon or tuna, whatever, they need a lot of input and they have a huge impact on the environment. So in that case, probably, yes, choosing wild Obviously, sustainably sourced wild-caught fish would be slightly better. What you're having to do is distinguish between the species that you're eating. That's a very important consideration as well, that, that one fish is not the same as the second fish by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, I mean, in terms of where the fish comes from and what type of farming system it was, then yes, obviously, you need to have that base on the system. Obviously, there's different certification schemes and and you can look at the package whether the fish was farmed or wild caught so you you have that information as a consumer but obviously it's a, it's a, it's a very complex issue also about kind of the management of the fisheries and and what fish we choose to eat because for example coming to the very vivid example of salmon being fed on wild caught fish all the fish that goes into salmon feed could be eaten by humans directly they're not just those super popular fish like anchovies or capulin, but their taste, they could be eaten. And quite often they are eaten in other parts of the world. In West Africa, actually, quite often the people cannot afford to eat the fish they've been always eating because big fish mill factories are, are buying the fish to ground it up and send to Europe. Thanks. Uh, let, let me just have to quote the question here. For you, is the distinction fish versus meat, or now having heard some of this, are you thinking there are certain kinds of fish that you would begin to avoid? So in other words, is your ethical choice becoming more refined? Yeah, we're talking about an evolution here. So I completely hear what you're saying. There is a vast difference between wild and farmed fish. But equally, the more months that go by, I think to myself, OK, well, salmon's great, but maybe I should be eating more something like tilapia. I think you have to keep on shifting and changing your opinion as you get more information. 
Well, I was naive at the start. I kind of thought, yeah, do you know what? Yeah, I'm a fish eater now, and that's going to make a real impact. But the more information I get, I go, actually, this is a minefield. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, ev- every decision that you're making for a meal, you kind of have to think to yourself, OK, well, is this the ethical or right decision for me to do? Hina, let me, let me put one very blunt point to you, but it's almost like the Charles Darwin view. There's a food chain, there's a pecking order, and humans are at the top of it. We eat fish and meat for protein, and a lot of people with religious, particularly sometimes Christian viewpoints, say that we're made in the image of God and we're at the top of that hierarchy. End of argument. I can't comment on that other than to say I don't believe it. I haven't got specific arguments to say why, why I don't agree with it or why I don't believe it other than the fact that my faith tells me that all souls are equal, all living beings have them, so therefore it's not okay to harm one and not the other. Couldn't you turn it round and say, because we're the top, we're the most eth- ethically advanced, therefore we have more moral yes. responsibility to choose with great consideration? You, you can't accuse a fish or a squirrel of not making good ethical choices, no, but agreed. humans do have choices. Yes, absolutely, and because we have choices, we don't have to eat meat or fish. There's so many other things we can eat. So, yeah, based on that, I wouldn't say that we're at the top because I'm not into speciesism, but I would say that because we have that abstract mind and we have information and we have access to it and we've we've evolved in a certain way, then, yes, we have an ethical and moral duty, I think, to think about what we're putting in our stomachs and whether we need it or whether it's a choice because of something else. But going back to protein, I just wanted to say there's evidence that in the long term, consuming too much protein can lead to an increased risk of osteoporosis and worsening kidney problems. In addition to that, it slows down movement of the foods in the stomach, which is not good for anybody because obviously if you need to eliminate something, you need to get it out. On top of that, the Department of Health have recently said there's a big myth about protein and how much we need, that we should avoid consuming more than twice the recommended daily intake of protein, which is different for men and women. And then going back to protein sources, you definitely don't need meat or fish or any of that for protein. You can get protein from beans, seitan, tempeh, tofu, peas, black-eyed beans, chickpeas, kidney beans, lentils, chickpea flour, soya mints, soya milk, oh, getting nuts, hungry. <laughs> seeds, so many things. What about your B12? This is always the Achilles oh, yeah, heel really of the vegan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where do you get your B12? Do you, do you have great big slabs of Marmite on toast in I mean, the morning? I, or? Yeah, I do love Marmite. <laughs> but I wouldn't say that's Product my placement problem. alert. Yeah, yeah, bless. Yeah, I do love Marmite. I would tell anyone who's concerned about their B12 intake not to overthink it and to get a supplement because anxiety can cause a whole heap of health problems anyway. So if you're worried about it, you should get one. I've never really thought about it, to be honest, and I've never thought about my food in terms of how much protein am I getting and how much this am I getting and how much... Because I wasn't driven in terms of health and all that. I was driven in terms of the animals. But I think I came from a background of eating vegetarian and cooking from scratch. So therefore, my eating choices were quite good anyway, so I didn't need to think about it. I do take a B12 supplement every now and again, and I advise my clients who I coach if they're worried about it and if their eating choices aren't good or they're not cooking from scratch and they're eating a lot of processed foods, then I definitely advise them to take a supplement. Do you, do you feel healthier since you gave oh, up yeah, dairy? Yeah, yeah. Do you? Yeah, in, in what way? I got rid of some issues that I didn't know were connected to dairy, some health digestive issues. I also just feel really 
just light, minimalistic. I go to a supermarket, there's a whole heap of aisles I don't need to go down, and I love that. And I love the fact that when I went vegan 11 years ago, if you wanted vegan cheese or yogurt or ice cream or whatever, you had to go to a health food store. So you had to plan, you had to organise, you had to go to different places. So that involved a lot of overthinking. So I just cut that out because I was lazy. Um, Whereas now, it's all available in all the supermarkets. They've either got their own range or they're bringing in other companies' stuff. So it's very, very easy and convenient to go vegan now. Christoph, I I want to introduce a a very long word here, but I think you'll probably recognise it. The word is anthropomorphic. In other words, is there a danger in this debate that when we see a a fish squirming and moving, we think, oh, that could be me. (laughs) We put ourselves in an empathy kind of way into the place of that creature. But actually, it just may be that the way that their body and their nerve system and their neocortex in the brain, which transmits pain and, and, and suffering, maybe there's very little connection. Uh, and therefore we're guilty of projecting our own human feelings onto the creature. Yeah, I would turn that question around and say maybe with fish, actually, we're not anthropomorphic enough. I think the fact that fish don't give any sound when they hurt and they don't have eyelids, so you don't see the fear in their eyes, as, as you would see with a cow, for example, when it's scared. Maybe all that is making us think less of a fish. And that's why currently there is no proper legislation to protect fish and so on. I, I think that might be the actual reason. And and I'm speaking being a scientist myself. I think quite often we get caught in this, in this trap of anthropomorphism, being so afraid of being accused of being anthropomorphic that we try to find a any other reason to explain something then say yes this might be emotions and this animal might be experiencing something the same way as we do okay i'm going to take a quick word from hina but i want you all to think before we close this program i want you to address people who at the beginning of this program might have been fairly sure about their eating preferences who are now beginning to wobble and have doubts and i want you to have a a message of invitation or recommendation to them. So if you could just be, begin to prepare that. But, you know, you, you wanted to come in. Yeah, I just wanted to say um, I, I think it's about motivation. So whether you're driven by <clears throat> wanting to help the planet or whether you're driven by health issues or allergies or the fact that you don't want animals to suffer, at the end of the day, if your motivation is strong, which we, we have to work on depending on what part of the journey you're on, you'll make it happen. So if you're really motivated to go on holiday, you'll cut back your spending and you'll make sure you save and you make sure you get that holiday booked. And it's the same way with any of these other choices but yeah we're definitely we're all on a journey and there's no black and white I went dairy free overnight and I I, there's not many people who do that so that's not something that I would say oh you should just be able to take the information in and then finish it and make a decision overnight I I recognize that that's not the way it works but motivation is key. Quabs listening to our discussion what would you want to say to people who've been listening to this podcast in terms of revising and looking at their own choices? I think it's about slow and gradual change. I think it's about educating yourself. I think it's about... I've never come at this from a sort of morally superior stance. It's about assessing what kind of impact you are making on the world and deciding when you work that out, you know, how you move forward and how your food choices impact that. Christoph, what would your message be? My message would be that nowadays, when we have so much more information, we definitely, all of us, should should rethink fish. And I barely scratched the surface with all the issues around it. But also, I didn't mention how amazing fish are 
about their abilities to cooperate and about how they bond and solve different puzzles and stuff like that. So if you are interested in, in that and would want to have more information, I would just invite you to visit our rethink.fish website and, and, and engage with the topic. Because they're also incredibly social creatures and also in terms of mirror recognition behave rather like um, advanced primates, I understand, that they, they do have um, potential self-consciousness. That's correct. We now learn so much about fish behaviour and, as you said, Cleaner Ras has passed the mirror test, which we thought is reserved just for primates. But then we have so many other amazing examples, for example, Grouper and Murray eel cooperating together when hunting, which has been rarely observed or never seen in any other animals than fish, where two different species communicate and cooperate. We've seen fish using tools like tusk fish who use rocks and they really select the right rock to crush shells. There are many amazing examples of how complex fish are. And Hina, what would your message be? I would say if you're listening with an open heart and an open mind, that's already a start on the journey. And don't be hard on yourself. Like there's a lot of things that I found out on my journey and I actually beat myself up about it and thought, oh, I should have done this earlier. I wish I knew earlier. I've been really not very kind and not very compassionate. And it's easy to go down that route, but I think that's a lot of wasted energy. So be kind to yourself and recognise that you're on a journey and when you're ready, you'll take the steps that need to be taken. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for today. I'm grateful to our guests, uh, Christoph Voitas, uh, Hina Modi and Quabs Opung for giving us, pardon the awful pun, some food for thought. <laughs> it's clear from this discussion that when it comes to matters of our diet, things aren't quite as simple as we once thought. We hope this has caused at least some of you to think again about what lands up on your lunch plate. You've been listening to Things Unseen, which is a CTVC production. And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.